0: continuing in our series in Matthew, as we go open to Matthew chapter 24, we'll begin reading with verse 36. A couple reminders as you go there, if you would be attentive to the people around you, helping them to find their way to Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. This is the fifth of five discourses that Matthew uses to give structure and shape and direction to his gospel account of Jesus' life and ministry. The first discourse we know as the Sermon on the Mount, the one that begins with, Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. This discourse is commonly known as the Last Days Discourse, And in my accounting, begins with the woe to the Pharisees. Woe, woe, seven woes. In Matthew's account, we begin with the blessings of God's grace. And we find ourselves encountering the woes of dismissing that in the last days. We come now to a portion that... um, We're somewhat familiar with, but we tend to avoid because um, it feels very strange to us. So I do pray that the Lord will meet us by his grace, um, even in this passage. Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 36, hear the word of the Lord. And so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then two men will be in the field. One will be taken. And one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. One will be left. And therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, And the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Brothers and sisters, believe it or not, this is good news. This is the good news of our father's holy and abounding grace to us. So let us go to him in prayer. So, Father, we come we pray that by your Spirit, once again, you would say to the swirling storms of distraction in our hearts and minds, peace, be still, so that we may behold the glory of your Son. We may wonder at it, we may marvel at it, we may grow into it. To that end, we pray that you would grant us your spirit, for we pray it as your children in Jesus. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation that you felt was interminable? You felt, I just don't know how much longer I can go. When will this end? When will it be over? I know you have found yourself in that situation. I have found myself in that situation. And I have had conversations with many of you in which I know that you're in that situation. How much longer? We find ourselves thinking if we only knew the end point, if we only knew when it was going to end, we could make it through. I can endure anything as long as I see the end in sight. Then we think we'd be free of these burdens and of these circumstances. We read the headlines and we say, How much longer? Two years? Six years? How much longer? Some of us wake up in the morning to go to work and we think, how much longer? Go to school and we think, how much longer? I I know that there are people in this room, high school and college juniors and seniors, who can tell you exactly how much longer. Some of them, down to the minute. In times such as that, it can be easy to be consumed with trying to figure out that great question posed by the clash, should I stay or should I go? But what if, since we don't exactly know how much longer, since we don't exactly know the time, What if we asked a different question? What if we said, what if we asked, given the place or the circumstances in which I find myself at this moment for however long? Whether it's for another day, whether it's for another month, whether it's for another three months, whether it's for another year, whether it's for another decade. How shall I then live faithfully and wisely? How shall I then live faithfully and wisely as a parent? Given circumstances, the end of which I cannot see. How shall I live faithfully and wisely as a spouse, a husband or a wife, given circumstances, the end of which I cannot see? How shall I live faithfully and wisely as a church member, given circumstances, the end of which I cannot see? The context of our passage today, as Jesus continues what we call this last day's discourse, is prior to this, he's just been saying That the kingdoms of this world, the world as we know it, the life in this world as we know it, is being dismantled. It is, from some perspectives, falling apart. Unraveling. That's the context in which the disciples have said, when, when, O Lord, will you come, when? In the first part of the answer, Jesus doesn't answer the when question. He answers the what will be happening and how will it be happening and who will be doing all of this. But in our passage, verse 36 begins with, but concerning that day and that hour. Oh, finally, finally, the disciples think he's getting to the when question concerning that day and that hour that's what we're asking Jesus when no one knows oh for crying out loud Jesus surely you know no no not even the angels know not even the sun knows no one knows That is such an unsatisfying answer. Coming from the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. You don't don't know how much longer I have to put up with this? Throw us a bone here, Jesus. I'll throw you a bone. No one knows. He goes on to say, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Well, that's really strange because we knew. We saw Noah building. We saw this ark taking shape even if we didn't know what to call it. We saw it coming to completion. But in those days before the flood, the fact is they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered it, and they were unaware. How is that even possible? We don't know how long Noah was at building this ark. Some commentators say a hundred years, but most of that is from a misunderstanding of the text itself in Genesis. But in any case, he was at it for a long time, probably more than a day. he was at it for a long time a sufficiently long and obvious time for people to see that noah was captivated by something he was compelled by something he would had heard something he was waiting for something he was watching for something that Utterly captivated his heart, that utterly consumed his passions, that utterly shaped the decisions that he made, that utterly drove where he spent his time and energy and resources. Something that established his priorities. In ways that made absolute no sense, but were expressed visibly. I wanted you to sit there for just a moment and put yourself in the shoes of the people who were watching strange Noah do these strange things. Because the people would just say, Man, a strange guy he's a good neighbor but he's so strange we love him we just don't understand him and so the people say whatever and they go about their business unaware unconcerned uninterested After all, since whatever it is hasn't happened in my lifetime and it hasn't happened in my parents' lifetime, then it won't happen. Crazy old Noah thinks something will happen, whatever, and so they just go about their business, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, buying and selling, waking and sleeping, buying homes, raising children, building up their retirement account, going to church, all the while. Inattentive to the signs of God's power at work before their very eyes. Had they asked Noah, he would have been able to give them a reason for what he was waiting for. What Peter calls a reason for the hope that he had. The thing that he was expecting. The thing that he was looking for. But it made no sense to them. And so they didn't think there was a question to ask. But notice how Jesus describes it here in verse 38. Those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In Jesus speaking here, the problem was not that the people were wicked. They were going about normal human life was good things eating drinking that's good marrying that's good giving in marriage that's good the problem was not their activities it wasn't the wickedness of their activities it was their unawareness it was their inattentiveness their lack of interest their mehness Their boredom. With it all. Their lack of wonder. And so Jesus goes on to say, so it is in this day, two men will be in the field going about their business. One will be taken. There's an ambiguity here in the text, whether one will be taken for judgment or whether one will be taken and rescued unto life. And I think the ambiguity can stand because the point remains that one will be taken and one will remain. People will be surprised. You'll be visiting with them one day and they'll be gone the next day. You'll be arriving to take them home one day. And they'll be with Jesus the next moment. The women will be grinding at the mill, just daily work. And one will be taken. One will be gone. And we'll be shocked. What what happened? Not because what they were doing was bad, but because they're inattentive. They're unaware. One commentator writes that the reality is that some will have lived with absolutely no thought for the things of God. So that in that day, when the Son of Man returns, they will, of course, have no part in the things of God. That's part of what's going on here. A sifting, a deciding that is going on in those verses. So my question for you is this. Are you awake? Are you attentive? Are you aware? Or do you find yourself. Sleepwalking through the American dream, inattentive and insensible to the things of God. perhaps even bored by the things of God. Perhaps thinking there's better things to do. As commentator continues, those who have chosen to live without God, inattentive and insensible to the things of God, will find, in fact, that choice respected when Christ returns. Therefore, Jesus says, verse 42, therefore, stay awake. If you're asleep, wake up. And once you're awake, stay awake. For you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. Stay awake. Stay alert. Be vigilant. Be watchful. Stay awake. Verse 44 Therefore, you also must be ready. Wait. Watch. Prepare. Be ready. The question is not when, the question is that. It doesn't matter when, but that He is coming is certain. Be awake. Wait, watch, be prepared. I've used this illustration in the past. I'm not sure whether I've actually used it from the pulpit or not, but it's a Ken Austin illustration, and, and he swears to you that it's apocryphal and that you cannot be believed. But it's my story, and I'm sticking to it. It's the story of taking U.S. history with Ken Austin when I was a freshman in college. I know. And um, Ken would be teaching along and then he'd say, okay, when you come back on Monday or whenever it is, Wednesday, we're going to have a test over these things that we just covered. I want you to all be ready and be prepared. Oh boy, oh boy, and you all, if you know Ken Austin, you know that when he speaks, you better do what he says. So we go, and we memorize, and we study, and we create flashcards, and we stay up all night, and we get it all memorized, and we show up at class. We are ready. All right, next topic. What? You said there was going to be a test. Well, there will be a test, just not today. Just wanted you to study and be ready. He would not get away with this today. (laughs) (laughs) Brad, I'm just preaching. If it becomes a problem on campus, it's not my fault. So we come to the end of the next unit and Ken says, all right, we're gonna have a test. So be prepared. Well, of course, you know how college students are. (laughs) We know his number, we got his number. And so we go and we have fun and we throw water balloons all night at different kinds of people. We have a grand old time. If you want more details, talk to Russ. (laughs) And we arrive. And he says, All right, here's your test. What? Well, I told you there's gonna be a test. Gotta always be ready, always be prepared. We don't know when it's going to be, but that it's going to be is certain. We must always be prepared. The faithful and wise student is always engaged, is always preparing. The life of a student is the hothouse where we cultivate habits of heart and mind for living wisely and faithfully in this world. Attentive, alert, waiting and watching and being prepared. And so who then is the faithful and wise servant In times such as these in which we find ourselves. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Doing the work that has been set before him. Waiting and watching and preparing in the work that has been set before him. To live faithfully and wisely in times such as these, brothers and sisters, we must, we must be awake. We must be watching. We must be waiting. We must be walking the wall, looking for the feet of them who bring good news. Anticipating it, looking for it. Being prepared for it. faithful and wise living as disciples of Jesus involves living and loving and walking and working with eyes that are fixed on Jesus. This is why Paul exhorts the Colossians to fix their eyes on Jesus. Waiting for Jesus, watching for Jesus, preparing for Jesus, yes, preparing for him to come. But you must understand that as day by day in the midst of our circumstances, as we fix our eyes upon Jesus, waiting for him to come on that great day, we actually actually are preparing ourselves and equipping ourselves for the circumstances in front of us immediately today. Because as we fix our eyes upon the present reigning and coming one, Jesus Christ, We find that his passions and his will are being cultivated in our own hearts and minds. We find ourselves imitating him in ways that we didn't expect. Walking in his ways, thinking in his ways, feeling in his ways, behaving in his ways. For when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we watch him, when we wait for him, when we prepare for him, we become like him. You see. And that is especially so. When we. Watch for him together. As we wait for him together. As we prepare for him together. Together. We become. Like him. In such a way. That the world can look. And see the one who brings good news of peace. When we fix the eyes of our heart on Jesus, when the desires and passions of our hearts are rooted in Christ, our passions and our priorities become Christ's passions and priorities. And that cultivates in us the hope of Christ for which our world longs. The love of Christ for which our world thirsts. The confidence and certainty of Christ in a world of uncertainty. The joy of Christ in a world of tragedy. The kindness of Christ in a world of profound meanness. The works of Christ in a world saturated and fragmented by the works of our enemy. And it grows in us the wisdom and the courage and the clarity to actually give the reason for all of those things. That Jesus Christ has come, has died, was buried, was raised, and reigns today. In short, as Micah himself might have said, when we daily live and love and walk and work in in confident attentiveness, to an expectation of Christ's present reign and imminent return, we find ourselves walking in and working for the justice of Christ, the mercy of Christ, in the humility of Christ. That is the character of our king. That is the character of his reign. That is the character of his kingdom. That is who we are. That is what it means that we call ourselves Christians. Little Christs. Luther said that Christians should live as though Christ had died this morning, was risen this afternoon, and is coming back this evening. That quick, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, he will be here. Randy Neighbors wrote recently in an article that a friend passed on to me Entitled, in a very typical Randy neighbor's way, I don't feel no ways tired except sometimes. On why so many of us feel so tired, so fatigued, so exhausted, so bored. He says this, being tired in the emotional sense doesn't really have anything to do with the amount of hours one has put in or even the amount of years or effort Or the strenuousness of the labor. Many people work long and hard, really hard, each day. And they are not emotionally tired. So much has to do with perspective. With where your eyes are fixed. So much, he goes on to say, has to do with faith and love and the patience that can come from it. So much has to do with waiting for and watching for and preparing for the right thing. Years ago, the clash raised the question, when things get difficult in our relationships, when trials come in our circumstances, when when things get rough in the world or in the city or in your job or in your relationship, should you stay or should you go? Christ's instruction, as Matthew reminds us, is don't be alarmed, don't run, but walk patiently through them, waiting for and watching for, preparing for the Christ who is coming and making his presence known. The question is this, are you feeling the fatigue of life in a fragmented world? You feel your soul grieving and groaning under the weight of your circumstances, the end of which you do not know? Ask yourself this. In this moment, in that circumstance, who are you looking for? What are you waiting for? What are you watching for? What are you preparing for? How would things change today in your circumstances if we began to wait for and to watch for and to prepare for the presence of Christ in our lives? In our church? In Flintstone? In our workplaces. In our schools. How would our consideration of this question, should I stay or should I go change if we thought that perhaps we were placed in this place at this time to somehow wait for and watch for and prepare for the arrival of our king? It would change everything. Try it. Father, we come.